Introducing Elvis Presley. Built around the fiery personality of Elvis Presley. Here is an Elvis Presley you've never seen before. It's Elvis on a love campaign. It's Elvis, Hawaiian style. And Elvis takes both sides. Elvis rocking and socking on the waterfront. Elvis brings you the vacation of your life. A different kind of man, Elvis Presley. It's a new Elvis, one you've never seen before. Viva Elvis, Viva and Margaret. Now he crowns his meteoric rise to fame with a fiery burst of dramatic power. Hey everybody, welcome to the Starring Elvis Presley podcast. I'm Sheena. And I'm Savannah. And this week we are diving into Elvis's TV specials, starting with the 68 special. Yeah, the mm-hmm. iconic 68 special. The iconic. We all know and love. Yeah. <laughs> so this year it's even more special. It is. Um, this December will mark the 50th anniversary of this special. Of course, um, Elvis and the team started working on it in the summer of 68, and then it was uh, officially released in December. And we just actually had a big celebration for it during Elvis Week. We saw some people that we've never seen before. Right. I think that was a really special treat for all of us to get these new stories and a new perspective on not only the 68 special, but also Elvis. Yeah, definitely. It was really awesome yeah um and and, and, you know to me i think this is such an iconic part of elvis's career absolutely i mean it's it's really hard to even sit down and sort of say to even put into words the magnitude that it had i think Mm -hmm. the impact that it made not only on his career but also on society yes exactly It, it was such a a wonderful starter to the 70s you yeah know, as we you know we were both talking earlier about what we thought about it and we both said that you know the costumes the style of dance the edginess that the 68 special produced it clearly showed that you were moving into a different time you were yeah, moving into yeah. that that funky 70s feel yeah yeah um while still kind of you know seeing the the odes to the 60s so i thought it was just incredible and loved the dances you know although mm-hmm. the dances are you know looking back you're like well that's an interesting dance choice <laughs> but i mean that's in in all the dances back in the day right um that we were like well that's odd what they're doing but i'm sure It'll be said for the same for us one day. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and then, you know, the costumes were amazing. Elvis was just spectacular. And, of course, the the star of the show, other than Elvis himself, was that black leather suit. <laughs> yeah, totally. And to do it theater in the round was so yes, smart. I love that. That's one of my favorite sequences of the whole special. And I think about it a lot, about how that would probably be difficult for a performer to perform like that. Yeah. To feel like you, you know, you're constantly going to have your back to someone. But I'm sure that night, no one felt like they were being no, blocked out probably because he not. was so good at involving everyone. Oh, yeah. I mean, the ultimate performer. And so, yeah. one of the things that always stood out to me that I was so jealous of was when he would go and sit by the girls. Yeah, I know. They were so <laughs> calm. Oh, we, we talk about that okay. in, in our fan comments. Because so, I would yeah. have been like, I love you! <laughs> so they were super calm. So they did yeah. a good job. And, 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 you know, I think it's kind of cool, too, how this... This special sort of has a little, um, not heavy, but sort of a little light plot to it. You know, of someone who is um, a young man who's coming to town, get the whole guitar man thing. Right. um, Trying to get his career started, getting, you know, sidetracked by, you know, lovely ladies and things like that. Right. 
it's just it's it's a really neat and very unique special um and and i kind of miss that that we don't still do these actually i do too i think they're such a cool concept such an interesting way to portray um a celebrity or or, or a singer in a really unique and different way i mean you gotta think about it we just had had you know 10 years plus of elvis movies right and now we're seeing him yeah, still do a little bit of acting, but he's really showcasing what he's best at, which is the music. And I can't help but think that he was probably so excited to do this because he just said, you know, towards the end of his movie career is that he just missed the fans and he missed performing. Yeah. And this was his chance. And I'm sure there was so much pressure on him to, you know, kind of prove himself and and get back into his idea of getting back into music and right. everything. So I just thought he was absolutely phenomenal it's such an iconic uh, show and uh, you know those elvis red letters those are oh iconic. man yeah they are there's just so many things that you can take away from and be like that's 68 special like you know we have if i can dream oh that's my favorite part right it's like I there's so it. many parts that it's hard to like you said put into words the magnitude of what this was right right and and i think one thing that's interesting to me is going back to if I can dream, you know, this was his one and only performance of that song. And God, he nailed it, you know? Oh, like, my gosh. I mean, he gave it his all in everything in this special, but especially in that. Yeah. And um, just such a fascinating look at not just Elvis the Entertainer, but I think Elvis the Man as well. I think so, too. He was so funny. Yeah, he, he was. He was great with the fans, great with his crew. I love that we had Scotty and DJ, you know, some of his original uh, band members. That was so, so special. That was so special. And you could tell he felt so comfortable with those guys, right. too. So it was a comeback in, in more ways than one. Yeah, it really you know? was. So <laughs> it was just amazing. You know, there's what can we say other than it was just incredible, iconic moment in history and Elvis history and something that still rings true for us today. Yeah, totally. Well, let's dig a little deeper into the special. Um, we both have some, I don't know that I want to say it's trivia, <laughs> um, because it really is more than that. Um, it's sort of the story of of the Six Day Special, how it came together, and some of these really in, um, incredibly talented people who worked with Elvis to make this happen. So, the idea of the 68 special actually began a year earlier uh colonel tom parker began negotiations with nbc in october of 67 to produce an elvis movie and a christmas tv special for the 68 christmas season and they announced you know all of this deal um, in january of 68 and this would actually be elvis's first tv appearance in more than eight years so that's kind of crazy yeah um and of course, for his uh, payment, the 68 special would be $250,000, and then they would uh, pay $850,000 to produce an Elvis movie, and an additional $25,000 for the film's music. The movie Change of Habit, which we covered a couple of episodes back, was in a part of a, this agreement. So that's how we got these two things, actually. And Bob Finkel uh, was the executive uh, producer of this special. He produced a lot of uh, variety shows like the Annie Williams show. He was nominated for for Emmys for three years in a row, and he won two, one in 66 and one in 67. Of course, I think we all know that Singer produced or, you know, sponsored this show. Right. Which is kind of neat because um, if you ever go back and, and learn about the Singer company, it's got an interesting history. So you I may want to look that up sometime. It's kind of cool, actually, because the Singer executive, Alfred D. Skip, 
Skypeo. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm probably not. <laughs> was all for the new concept of a, a semi-documentary, you know, movie featuring Elvis as an innovator in music because he really thought that with um, Singer being very an innovative company, he thought the two kind of complemented each other. Right. I think that's kind of nice. And in mid-May of '68, uh, Finkel hires. 23-year-old Steve Bender. Can you believe this man's 23 <laughs> and directing the 68 special? I know. I feel <laughs> bad about myself. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, his partner, Bones Howe, uh, produced the music. Actually, Steve Bender was a uh, medical student at the University of Southern California uh, before, you know, stepping into the music world. And after he did that, he actually directed Hullabaloo, Shindig, all these sort of music programs that were really designed for music fans and teens so that was really cool he he's worked with a little bit of everybody um especially through the tammy show which of course stands for teenage music international um that that movie actually that two-hour documentary featured everyone including the supremes marvin Gaye, the beach boys chuck berry leslie gore the rolling stones uh, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles and James Brown and um, Elvis had of course seen this and was especially Im- um, impressed by James Brown of course who's who's not usually right. <laughs> <laughs> and of course uh, Steve Bender had also just worked on um, producing and directing a Petula Clark special so he was really becoming one of those people a lot of people want to work with right and so <sighs> I think Elvis, that's one thing that we talked about during Elvis Week, I know, and, and we may hear it later in, surprise, our Steve Bender interview, <laughs> uh, that, um, you know, this was a guy that Elvis really felt he could connect to. Right. You know, he was his age. They, they really got along, so it's very cool. So during the last two weeks of May, Elvis and his uh, family and friends vacation in Hawaii. And while he's doing that, you have writers Chris Beard and Alan Bly writing the script, which, as we said, was about a young man leaving home. He's searching for happiness and a career and the obstacles that, you know, sort of come up. And mm-hmm. then, of course, his journey back home. That's how we get the song Guitar Man and sort of the, it's the theme of the show, really. It links everything all together. I was just thinking of Guitar Man. Yeah. 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 They did end up singing one Christmas song because the colonel was (laughs) adamant that there was a Christmas song. Because to him, it was supposed to be a Christmas special. Right. So, you know, you you do have the one, but it actually fits in, I think. I think it's cute. In my opinion. Anyway, um, Chris Beard uh, was born in England, grew up in Australia. He was a writer for Laugh-In, which I love that show. <laughs> I miss it. I used to watch it all the time. And he also directed, um, or, or he also uh, produced Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour. Um, he received uh, four more Emmy nominations for that. He produced a lot of stuff. The Gong Show. I mean, so much stuff. Yeah. And then Alan Bly, who was a guest for Elvis Week this year, he received eight Emmy nominations of his own. He won two. One for the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour and for the Van Dyke and Company special. So, yeah, definitely... You know, he has some some powerful guys behind him working for him. And on June 3rd, 1968, 
Elvis begins working with Steve Bender and Bones Howe at their offices. They got to know Elvis. Uh, They really got to sort of pick his brain and understand how he worked and what was important to him. And, of course, Elvis was very deeply affected by the June 6th um, assassination of Robert Kennedy. Mm -hmm. And so they were talking about, you know, not only that, but also Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, which had happened a couple months previously. And that's how um, you got Earl Brown and actually Billy Goldenberg to work on If I Can Dream which really speaks to the way Elvis felt about the world at the time. Right. So that's very cool. Another major thing that happened in the production of this special was Elvis met uh, costume designer Bill Ballou on June 11th. And this is not just someone who did this one special and then moved on. This is someone Elvis worked with for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Mr. Bill Ballou, we get the black leather suit. We get that beautiful white suit for, you know, If I Can Dream. All of these amazing suits he wears in this out in this special. Yeah. And then he goes on to help Elvis design and create all of these jumpsuits. I mean, he didn't do all of them. He did a lot of them. Right. And he's, it, it's, he's a fascinating guy. He actually had graduated from a fashion design school. He, then he joined the military. And... Um, he began designing for salons in Japan. Wow. And he worked in retail until he got involved in designing for TV in the 60s. And he actually designed for a number of theatrical productions, um, as well as operas and ballets, that kind of thing. And he had worked with Steve Bender on the Petula Clark special. And so they all get together and they figure all of this out, which I just... It's just amazing. I love these outfits so much. (laughs) And if you want to see them, they're here at Graceland. I bet you're shocked. (laughs) Uh, It was Bill Ballou who envisioned Elvis in black leather with the high collar. Um, And he, you know, I just, I think he just really had a lot of fun designing these costumes too. And Bill Ballou has worked for many people like um, Joan Rivers, Lena Horne, Ella Fitzgerald. Wow. um, Gladys Knight. Milton Berle, Mac Davis, who, of course, we know. Um, so many really cool people. Right. So, yeah, it, it's really cool to me how all of these really creative people came together to work with Elvis in the 68 special. And I think you have some more information about I do. some of these folks. So we have some more people uh, that were involved in 68 special and making it the grand success that it was. So Claude Thompson actually did double duty as a makeup artist and a choreographer. So some of his makeup uh, artistry could be seen on the 1956 movie Around the World in 80 Days. And then the TV series Little House on the Prairie, which Aww. I was a huge fan of. Um, and then some of his choreography can actually be seen in the 1976 movie King Kong and then the 1985 movie The Color Purple so those are some great credentials oh yeah Uh, so Jamie Rogers was also another choreographer and he didn't just do that he was an actor director and he was a producer Um, so for his dancing talents he'd been showcased on TV uh, such as Mary's Incredible Dream for which he received an Emmy Award nomination and in movies such as West Side Story and Caddyshack 2 And then the famous tall blonde dancer that Elvis flirts with in the bordello uh, is Susan Henning. And you may have recognized her as the mermaid in Elvis's movie Live a Little, Love a Little. I never made that connection. I will have to go back and see those two things. But I love that flirty moment with them in in the uh, 68 (laughs) special. Um, So Elvis worked with composers Billy Strange and Mac Davis in the movie Live a Little, Love a Little. Their song, Little Less Conversation, had been used in that film and was for a time considered to be used in this TV special. It was the version recorded for the special that was used for the highly successful 
successful 2002 remix that has since been used in movies and as the theme song for the TV series Las Vegas. That is an amazing remix. Oh, no. I, I think that's the one with I the still gold. Love it, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. So my cool. mom listened to that. All the time when I grew up. Iconic CD for sure. Uh, Billy Strange and Mac Davis wrote Nothingville and Memories, both of which were used in the 1968 TV special. Mr. Strange would go on to work with Elvis again in the movies Charo and The Trouble with Girls. They also shared another tie as Mr. Strange was at one time married to Joan O'Brien, Elvis's leading lady, and it happened at the World's Fair. It all comes back together. That is crazy. Wow. It's a small world. It's uh, six degrees of separation. Yeah, I'm telling Absolutely. you. The musical director was Billy Goldenberg, who would go on to work with Elvis on the, the film Change of Habit. His credits today include over 160 TV series, specials, or miniseries that he's composed for. He's been nominated 11 times for Emmy Awards, winning one for the 1978 miniseries called King. He also has been the musical director for specials with Barbara Streisand and Diana Ross as well. So incredible i mean these are insanely talented people yeah and having him here at elvis week was so special he shared some really touching stories right and i mean yeah when you look at his credentials it is absolutely insane yeah that man has worked with everybody and you have to think about how these people probably were so excited to work with elvis and he was so excited to work he with was them, you know <laughs> Okay, so Elvis began rehearsals on June 17th, becoming so immersed in the project that he literally moved into his NBC dressing room for the duration, even sleeping there. It was after rehearsals one night that Steve Bender came upon Elvis and his friends in his temporary home, doing what Elvis did naturally to relax, laughing and jamming. It was then that Mr. Bender had the idea to add a jam session to the actual special, which is so perfect genius his first thought was to film it in the dressing room but later changed the location to the informal gathering with the audience this portion has since become known as the two sit-down shows joining him on stage were his original sidemen scotty moore and dj fontana and his friends charlie hodge alan fortaz and lance legal i probably butchered those last names and i'm sorry <laughs> so yeah those are perfect scenes because mm-hmm. again we got to see Elvis the man Mm -hmm. and see him kind of you know shoot the breeze with his friends well you know one of my favorite moments out of that is where he makes his little pinky finger dance oh my gosh that's one of my favorite moments I know so funny the backup vocals were by the Blossoms which was Darlene Love who we had here at Elvis week as well Fantina James and Gene King it is Gene King that we can hear sing sometimes I feel like a motherless child do you know I almost just sang that part (laughs) sometimes I I love that it's so beautiful (laughs) it is so iconic for the 68 special too yes in the opening of the gospel production number. There were other backing vocalists as well. Uh, Billy Goldenberg conducted an orchestra of strings and horns, all of which added to the final product. So by June 27th, rehearsals were winding down and the taping of the production numbers had begun. And also that evening, there were two sit-down jam sessions that were taped. On June 29th, they shot the two stand-up shows. And on Sunday, June 30th, Elvis completed taping If I Can Dream. Physically and emotionally spent, Elvis then left for a week's rest in Palm Springs. Oh, well man. deserved. Well deserved. On September 11th, 1968, Variety announced that the bordello scene had been cut from the TV special, citing it had been passed by the NBC censors, but the sponsor singer had requested that it be removed. 
Sign of the Times. Mm-hmm. Um, the Elvis special aired on December 3rd at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time and was seen by 42% of the viewing audience, making it the number one show for the season and giving NBC its biggest rating victory of the year. It received rave reviews from the critics, and Elvis was indeed back on top. Of course. Love it. <laughs> love it. And, you know, one thing I love is that as we've made the Starring Elvis Presley podcast, we have always asked for fans to tell us, you know, your thoughts about whatever movie. And there are some fans who love every movie. There are some fans who love some, hate others. There are some who don't like any of the movies. This is one of the few things we posted about that everyone loved. Because it's Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. So, we asked for y'all's um, opinions. And here just a few. Just a few. There were so <laughs> many. Um, Mark on Twitter said he loved uh, the whole, baby, what do you want me to do? You know, sort of song performance yeah. after he swaps axes with Scotty. Yes. Um, Bogdan, I hope I'm saying that right. You're on Twitter. That's your handle. I don't know what your real name is. Um, he said what he loved about it. Um, I'm, I'm guessing you're a he. I'm sorry. Um, except for the histor- historical event in and of itself was the trouble intro. Mm-hmm. It's timeless. And you can uh, see Elvis was a little nervous. His hand trembles as he grabs the mic. Yeah. I love I that. I love that, but that means Elvis cared. Oh, absolutely. He wanted it to be so good. And I agree with Kathy on Twitter. She said her favorite uh, song from this special is If I Can Dream. Mm-hmm. She said it means as much today as it did 50 years ago. Absolutely. Brandy on Facebook said uh, she loved trying to get to you as well. Um, and she said um, she saw it actually in August when it was in theaters. And she said it was amazing. She let baby, what do you want me to do? She said he really uh, blew her away with his guitar skills, mm-hmm. and there will never be another one like it. Amen. Brandy, you can preach on that. Yep. Uh, Russell on Facebook said that this is the most triumphant performance of Elvis's life, and it's hard to believe that this is already 50 years old. It's incredible. It really is. Tracy on Facebook said she always wondered about the girls in the front row, who they were, (laughs) were they paid handsomely to sit so calm and still. She said she would have lost her mind in the first five minutes. Same. They would have had to slip me a 50 to calm down. Mm -hmm. And then um, I love Daniela's comments. She also loved If I Can Dream. She said it's very moving. And she said every time she hears it or she watches it, it takes her breath away. Yeah. Doesn't it, though? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um... I mean, I don't, this is probably going to be an, an epic-sized episode because there's so much information. We love it so much. It is so celebrated. It was just such but a pivotal moment in his career and in his life. Yeah, yeah, totally. And um, I think we really celebrated it well during mm-hmm. Elvis Week. We had a panel that was all about the 68 special where we had um, not only Steve Bender and Alan Blatt and Billy Goldenberg, who we mentioned earlier, but also... Tanya Lamani, she was the belly dancer. I love that. She Egypt. she came out in a full like belly dancer outfit. She did. Now for her for the panel she did not, but then for the performance that night she did. And then they played that scene, so we got to see her when she was younger, and yeah. it was just so it was, cool. It's so cool to have them here. And so yeah, during during the um, six eight special show that we produced. I believe it was Andy Childs who produced it, who's mm-hmm. produced a lot of stuff for us. And also, he produced the new Elvis record, um, Where No One Stands Alone. Mm-hmm. So, well, a co-producer. Um, he's a genius at this stuff, I think. And it was so cool because you have the special showing on the big screen. And, you know, as certain songs would come up, 
Angie and her archives, Angie, our vice president of archives, uh, and her team were actually setting out the outfits that he's wearing on the screen on the side of the show. I loved it. So you were really seeing a part of, you know, an actual prop or something there as it was going on, which was very cool. Um, during, you know, different parts, you would either have Steve Bender, Billy Goldenberg, Tony Lamani, mm-hmm. or Alan Black came out, and, and they would talk about what you're about to see. Yeah why they did what they did or how they made these decisions or how did they work with Elvis or something. It was a really cool way to be like, oh, now I see what they're seeing and I'm hearing what they're hearing. It was very cool. Right. And, of course, we had an amazing local gospel group perform during the gospel sequence and during If I Can Dream. And I won't lie, I wanted to cry my eyes out. I thought it was, it was amazing. beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yes. Um, I think that might wrap it up since we have now gushed about the 68 special for yes. as long as we have. Um, and can I say a side note? I don't know if y'all were here during Elvis week and you, you went to the gift shop, but we have got the cutest oh my 68 special merchandise. <laughs> we do. Absolutely adorable. There's a 68 special purse, just saying, that's really adorable. <laughs> and the strap looks like just like his guitar strap in the special. So make sure you go to store.graceland.com, check those out. Or if you're coming to Graceland anytime this year, you know, I'm sure that we're going to have it. Oh, yeah. Longer than just the celebration of the 50th right. anniversary. And of course, if you hear, you need to check out the um, 68 special section of mm-hmm. Elvis the Entertainer Career Museum. You can see all of his outfits, you see the chair that. Uh, he sat in for the the sort of jam session, mm-hmm. um, uh, his leather cuff. cuff that I love that just looks so punk rock. It's and so you can cool. buy a replica you can. cuff. <laughs> so they have everything that you would possibly want and need at, this, at the Elvis Entertainer gift shop yes. um, for 68 Special at least. So make sure you check that out whether you're in person or online because they're doing some amazing things in merchandise. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think we're going to leave you with Steve Bender's interview from the panel this year at Elvis Week. It's a nice little treat. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure we will share the interviews from Tanya, Billy, and Alan in the future. We'll just get to those probably closer as we get to the 68 special 50th anniversary. Um, So, yeah, thanks for tuning in. And uh, go pop in your DVD of Aloha from Hawaii. That's our next special. Uh, We will catch you in about a week or two. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks. We would not be here honoring the 50th anniversary of the uh, 68 special without our next guest. Uh, He made it all happen. He put the creative team together that brought us this show. And so let's please welcome the man who made it all possible, Mr. Steve Bender. Yeah, Steve Bender, we're all celebrating today on August 16th, the 68 special. We thank you for being here with us, and I called him a week or so ago to talk to him, and the first thing he said to me was, I finally met someone that's got as many credits as I do. He had, and what I found out, in the, he had been researching me to find I out, like, who is this guy I'm going to talk to? So I appreciate that. I'm so glad you're here, and, and we've heard your name all morning from these gentlemen, the, this creative team you put together. And uh, I, I, we've only got, you know, we don't have a lot of time, but I, I, I want to, to hear from you about how this project came to be and how it just kind of showed up at your doorstep one day. 
Well, first of all, it is the thrill of my life to hear Billy and Alan speak today. Uh, I really love these guys. Uh, we had such a creative team. Uh, I think the role of a director, first and foremost, is to surround yourself with more talented people than yourself. I mean, I know a little bit about what everybody else does, but they're the experts. And uh, every production, especially on, on the 68 special, uh, we all got in a room, forgot our salaries, forgot our titles, and we were just family. And uh, I said in my new book, and I really mean it, I wish my whole career, uh, you know, I, I recognize the fact that they become kind of famous in their own right and move on to uh, Alan and Chris are a great example of becoming producers. Uh, when I worked with them, they were basically writers. And, but I would have loved to work with these guys for the entire career that I have been doing projects. Uh, you just couldn't find, aside from their talent, you couldn't find nicer people in the world. And uh, yeah. so I, I was really privileged to work with them. And, and it's, it's a shame because we've lost so many. You have to realize that they're only uh, literally the three of us and our art director, Gene McAvoy, uh, left in our creative team. But uh, we did have our great moment in time where we got to work with Elvis. Yeah. So Bob Finkel calls you one day <laughs> and says, I've got, a, I've got a project for you. Finkel uh, turned out to be, and I didn't appreciate him as much <laughs> until I thought about him a lot after he passed away. But Finkel was the greatest executive producer anybody could ask for. He devoted his entire time doing this project to keeping the colonel out of our hair. <laughs> <laughs> they played liar's poker every day, and the colonel uh, thought he won, but Bob actually was throwing the game. He let him win, and it cost <laughs> Bob a lot of money, incidentally. Uh, they exchanged uh, framed photographs. The colonel uh, dressed himself up as a southern colonel, and everybody knows that the colonel was not really, even from the United States. Uh, he was born in the Netherlands. And uh, Bob, uh, to counter that, framed a picture of himself, uh, basically uh, dressed as Napoleon. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so it was a case, oh, I have to tell you one great story of um, the colonel, thought he controlled everybody, the world. And so uh, when he met Bob Finkel, he, he sent him a case of Don Perignon champagne. And uh, Bob had a dinner party. And Bob was a very famous producer-director himself in the 1950s. He produced the Jerry Lewis series. He produced Phyllis Diller and so forth. Had a great reputation. And so he had this dinner party at his home. And he thought, this is a great time to pull out one of the Dom Perignon uh, bottles. And uh, he did, and it turned out to be Gatorade. <laughs> that is a true story. But uh, I got involved. Uh, I had just uh, put this incredible team together around me, and we uh, did do uh, 
First starting when Leslie Uggams was starring on Broadway in Hallelujah Baby, we did her first television special. We then went on to do the Petula Clark, Harry Belafonte special. That was kind of an explosion heard around the world. We were the first primetime network variety show where two races <laughs> touched each other. Petula reached out, literally touched Harry on the forearm, uh, and there was an explosion in the hallway with the sponsor's representative who said, that'll never get on the air. And I was shooting the Petula show as well as the Elvis uh, special uh, like a film. We had no audience uh, except in specific segments. In, in case of Elvis, we used an audience twice, one for the uh, medley of old hits, yeah. Hound Dog, Blue Suede Shoes, etc. Can't Help Falling in Love. With the live orchestra uh, at NBC, sitting in the bleachers behind him, behind the boxing ring. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, it was really a case of where uh, when we were uh, working on Petula, uh, the, the, we shot about four or five takes of this basically anti-war song uh, that Petula had written herself called Paths of Glory about mothers sending their sons and daughters off to battle to get maimed or killed and then the war is over, flowers grow in the spot where they died or, or were maimed and everybody kind of forgets it. Well, this was 1968, a very tumultuous time in America with the Vietnam War protests going on in the streets, uh, Martin Luther King, the Kennedys uh, being assassinated, and incidentally, uh, Bobby Kennedy, we were in my office on Sunset Boulevard with Elvis, and we heard a commotion going on in the other room on the TV that happened to be uh, on and we rushed into the other room to find out what was going on, and it was the live Bobby Kennedy being assassinated. Wow. And we stopped rehearsing and just spent the rest of the evening talking about what was going on in America. Wow. Uh, but anyway, to make a long story short, is uh, after I finished Petula and Harry, uh, I got the opportunity to go into the motion picture business, which I thought was a good opportunity, and so an iconic film producer of the 50s, a man named Walter Wanger, hired me to direct his movie. And we had a deal at a studio. We were working on the script. And in comes the phone call from Bob Finkel. And he said, you know, Steve, Colonel Parker just made a deal with us to, uh, and with Tom Sarnoff, the head of NBC at the time. He made a deal with us uh, to finance Elvis's next movie. And NBC said, yeah, we'd, we'd like to do it, but there's a condition, and the condition is that he do a television special. Mm -hmm. He didn't tell Elvis this, but he made the deal because all of the money had basically dried up at the real motion picture studios of doing any more Elvis movies. And so uh, when Elvis heard about this, uh, he, he was happy he would get to do another movie, but he said, I don't want to do the television special. It's not my turf. And uh, so he, Bob said, you know, I initially I was thinking of producing and directing this thing myself, but I can't get Elvis to call me Bob. He keeps calling me Mr. Finkel. <laughs> and I knew I wasn't right for the, for the project. I was either too old or, or whatever. And then I read about your Petula Clark, Harry Belafonte special and the controversy, and you're around the same age as Elvis. 
uh, and it, it would, it just, I felt it would be a good combination of you two working together. And I said, I'm sorry, Bob, but I'm doing a movie now, so I'm not available. He said, thank you very much, hung up the phone, and now my partner at the time was, is a very famous record producer, specifically records on the West Coast. And we were exclusively producing our little company. Uh, we had all the hit records for the Fifth Dimension at that time, yeah. a group called The Association, yeah. who had yeah. Cherish and yeah. Never My Love. And we were working with Laura Nero, and uh, Bone said, Steve, if I heard correctly your phone conversation, you're crazy. Uh, I've engineered an Elvis Presley album. Uh, I know Elvis, I've met with him. You guys would be great together. You're, you're totally compatible. And uh, I just think you should call Walter Wanger back and, and uh, Finkel back and see if you can do both. See if you can do the movie because it takes a long time to make a motion picture and you yeah. could knock out the special quickly. As fate entered the picture, uh, Walter Wanger dies of a heart attack and the movie's canceled. And so I called Bob Finkel up again at NBC saying if the job's open, I'd be interested. But on one condition, he kind of laughed and said, what's the condition? I said, no Colonel Parker, no honorage. I want to meet Elvis one-on-one. -on -one. And, uh, and Bob said, I'll call you back in a few minutes. I've got to call the Colonel. So he called the Colonel. The Colonel said he can't meet Elvis Presley unless I meet him first. So there's a very funny story. Uh, I get a call from Finkel, said, okay, I set up a meeting for you to go out to MGM Studios where the Colonel has offices, and he wants you to bring uh, some French pastries when you come out to his office. In my head, I'm thinking, wow, we're gonna have breakfast, you know, coffee and pastries and so forth. So I didn't eat breakfast, and uh, I picked up my partner, Bones Howe, and the two of us trekked out to MGM in Culver City. And uh, I walk in with a paperback filled with pastries. The colonel comes up, greets me. I hand him the pastries. He opens his briefcase. He tosses a, the pastries in, closes it. No coffee brewing. And that's, <laughs> to this day, I don't know what he did with our pastries. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he gave me a quarter inch uh, gift that Elvis gave to disc jockeys in America. Mm -hmm. And it was 20 Christmas songs and no dialogue from Elvis. There was another actor, Cliff Robertson or somebody, who did a public service announcement in the middle of this audio tape. And instantly, that's not the kind of show I wanted to do. First of all, uh, television in those days, especially in, in primetime series, was dominated by comedians like Milton Berle and Steve Allen, or middle-of-the-road singers like Perry Como. And so uh, I thought, you know, uh, it's not going to happen. But he also gave me uh, a membership card, a booklet to his snowmen's club. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I looked at it, and uh, I realized this was kind of a phony colonel organization for what he considered people who were really good BSers. <laughs> and, so uh, we drive back to our office, uh, and there's a phone call waiting for me, and it's from Bob Finkel saying, I don't know what you did to charm the colonel, but Elvis will be at your office tomorrow at four in the afternoon. Wow. And, and that's what happened. Elvis came over to the office. 
He had his entourage who we made wait in our uh, reception area. And uh, Elvis and I went into the back room and he saw all of the gold albums on our wall with the Fifth Dimension and the Association and so forth. And so we got talking about the music business and uh, he said, you know, this is my turf. And I said, what's your turf? And he said, making rock and roll records. That's what I love doing. He said, I, don't, I hate television. I, I like doing the Ed Sullivan show early on with my original trio. But ever since then, you know, they kind of make fun of me because uh, they put a hound dog in front of me, put a tuxedo on me, it's not me. And I just don't feel comfortable doing television. And I said, well, if you feel comfortable making rock and roll records, then make an album and I'll put pictures to it. And after a while, he said to me, you know, that's, uh, that phrase alone is what made me comfortable. Priscilla told me a few years later that, the that when he came home from his first meeting with me, he basically came home saying, you know what? I don't care what the colonel says. I got a gut feeling about working with this guy, Bender, and, and uh, I'm going to do it. So, wow. yeah. While I was actually uh, producing and directing the show, I was wondering, why, not, why aren't I being fired? I mean, I'm having all these confrontations, confrontations with Parker, and yet, you know, I go to work every day and nobody's saying anything. Uh, and what I, I didn't know about that conversation that Priscilla told me about, so I just was, uh, just plowed ahead. And, uh, you know, uh, the entire script, the entire show, and Alan Bly is exactly right. When Chris and Alan pitched the format that they came up with, uh, I looked at Elvis and I said, so what do you think? And he said, I love it, I love it all, let's do it. And I said, well, is there anything you don't like? No, I like it all. And it, it made me nervous because I've never worked with a star who didn't have something to say about, you know, changing something or yeah. I love this, I don't particularly like that, let's try something else. But he went r with every idea that, that uh, Alan and, and Chris came up with. There was no thought of the improvisation whatsoever at that time in right. the acoustic sessions. Yeah. You, we were talking, I, I love, I, I think in this world of YouTube videos, we've, we've lost some continuity on certain things. We, we see sections of the 68. Um, and we don't get the overall feeling and flow of the story. You really made a, a biographical show about Elvis and his life. You guys all talked, and they took bits and pieces of, of what he had talked about in his life, and you created it. But there's really, you were saying in your book, and by the way, I have a copy, and you're going to want to get this because I read it in literally one sitting. Um, made notes, and, and it, it's, it's every question I've ever wanted to ask about the special and you answered it. Well, the reason I wrote the book, to be really frank, and, and I would never have written it without my now partner, Spencer Proffer. I mean, he's the one who, uh, 10 years ago as a favor, I knocked out a, a smaller edition of, of this book. Uh, but I think only like a thousand copies were ever printed and, and distributed. There's some guy selling one on eBay for $343 <laughs> now. and. Uh, I was going to buy it, but it's too rich for my blood. <laughs> uh, but this, 
there's so many books written about the 68 special. I mean, hundreds of them. Uh, there's even somebody pointed out to me yesterday. <laughs> there's somebody put out a, a full book called The Comeback, and I know I didn't even recognize the name of the of the author. But a few authors did interview me for a chapter in their book. Most authors I never met or talked to, and I just felt there was so much misinformation about what really happened behind the scenes yeah. that I had an obligation to Elvis to really tell the true story and my staff. Yeah. And, and that's why I did the book. Yeah. And one of my favorite sections, there's, uh, now we know what they officially called it. Um, there's the improv section that with, the, with the guys. There's the biographical portion, which is the guitar man. Uh, and then you called, uh, I, I love this, I, didn't, I never knew all these years what, you call it the arena, when Elvis is in front of the live audience with the microphone, with the live orchestra. That's the arena. Incidentally, let me, let me just say, the, the musicians we used, because NBC, in their inimitable wisdom, wanted us to use the Bob Hope Orchestra. They were good musicians, but they were all over 50 years old at the time, basically. And they were the, Bob Hope was on rate card one, which means how much you pay for musicians by the hour uh, with the musicians uh, union. And uh, by time I, we were doing this special, NBC had been up to rate card 15 or something like that, but Bob Hope kept that deal so he only had to pay the musicians bare minimum. And uh, because mostly of my partner, Bones Howe, uh, and we used the greatest California studio musicians you could find uh, on all our records. Uh, he worked with, with uh, Billy Goldenberg, and uh, they assembled what is now a very famous group of musicians uh, called the Wrecking Crew. And I had done... Uh, yeah. I had done a movie in 1964 called The TMI Show, Teenage Music International, uh, and it featured uh, unbelievable, uh, and we had no idea who we were picking. Uh, the conductor was a guy named Jack Nietzsche, and Jack Nietzsche and Phil Spector were the two big producers mm -hmm. at the time on the West Coast. And uh, Nietzsche had gone on to score dozens of movies, including One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest and so forth. And uh, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys got the idea that his guys couldn't play their instruments anywhere near what the studio musicians mm -hmm. uh, could play. So he insisted first that the Beach Boys do all their recordings with the studio musicians, and then when they went out on the road to do their concerts, they would actually be the Beach Boys. And every other act, in, especially on the West Coast, followed suit. We did it with the Fifth Dimension, the Association, uh, the Turtles. I mean, you name the act, and this group of musicians uh, uh, were on their rec recordings. And uh, they would never get time to go home. They were doing three and four <laughs> sessions a day. They'd move literally from one session to the next. And uh, so Bones and Billy kind of put their heads together and, and came up with the uh, these mu same musicians, and NBC immediately objected. And, uh, you know, in those days, if you're doing television, you only thought it was going to air one time. Right. And, uh, 
you know, nobody even thought of DVDs and, and all the technical, uh, you know, brilliant facilities that were invented since then and so forth, which make it now possible to preserve, you know, these old shows and so forth. I mean, 50 years later, I saw a preview of the show in New York last week. It looked like we did it yesterday. I just couldn't believe it that yeah. this two-inch videotape could be on a movie screen and, yeah. and the quality be so fantastic. Yeah, today, uh, I, I just want to, uh, today and August 20th, uh, it's back, at, it's, it's not back, it's in theaters. It's in a thousand theaters yeah. worldwide. And they're even talking, they're, they're even talking about, uh, some of the theaters are requesting that, that just not be a special two-day event, but they're able to play it as a regular feature. <laughs> they're trying to work out the publishing of the music rights wow. to be able to do that. But, you know, Billy Goldenberg said, uh, kind of forget the soundtrack, it's, it, it, you, you got to look at the visual. Well, without the soundtrack, there'd be no visual. I mean, this soundtrack is spectacular. And here again, uh, you know, because we were in the music business, we insisted, uh, Bones and I, that if there was a soundtrack uh, album released, that we wanted producer royalties, uh, which is the way pr record producers are paid. And the colonel said, you know, he, he became furious. And, and uh, unfortunately, my agent was the same agent who handled Elvis Presley. So who are they going to side with and uh, so it became a big controversy whether I was even going to direct the show or not and then I got a phone call at home from Colonel Parker and my agent saying I have nothing to worry about because uh, there is going to be no soundtrack album so I don't have to worry about that unbeknownst to me and being very naive and trusting I didn't realize the colonel the day before he made the phone call closed his deal with RCA to release the soundtrack album. Yeah, I have a copy of the soundtrack that never came out right here. <laughs> <laughs> this is the record that basically you and Bones are the producers of, of this album. The three major trade newspapers at the time or magazines were Cashbox, Billboard, and Record World. They all carried our names as the producers and the Colonel uh, threatened all three magazines that if they kept putting our names in, they were going to pull all the RCA record advertising out of their magazines. So that's what I was kind of up against. Yeah. Uh, but I'm so thrilled they did release it. I mean, uh, I don't care if I ever made one penny, and I made $7,500, period, on this special. Uh, the, uh, I was never paid my Director's Guild royalties and, and we didn't get a penny for the album and so forth. But uh, I, I would do it a hundred times over again because the thrill of seeing it and hearing it. Uh, I want to... Um, uh, the, the clock on the wall is uh, falling off, actually. No, but the... the, the the, the story I really want to make sure that, that, that the folks hear from you, because there's so many stories in the book that just are jaw-dropping, that you just, like, like I said, it's everything I ever wanted to ask, and you, you answered it with the book. But it's, it's the very famous um, sequence that now is just legendary uh, that really wasn't included very much, the uh, improv with the guys was not like we, we remember it differently than what it really was. Okay. The, the real story behind the scenes is, this is because of Elvis, not me. 
the first day I took him out to NBC to see the stage and kind of acquaint him with where we were going to be working in the rehearsal halls, uh, he said, Steve, do you think it's possible, uh, especially when he looked in his dressing room next to the stage, he said, do you think it's possible to bring a bed in here? And I said, what? He said, yeah, he said, you know, I rented a home in Beverly Hills and it's quite a ways from Burbank and NBC. So I don't want to waste two or three hours. Today would probably take five hours with the traffic and everything. But I don't want to waste two or three hours driving back and forth from the studio. So if you put a bed in there, I think I'm just going to live out here for the entire time we're working. So I got him a bed and put it in and we brought a couple of pianos into the dressing room area. And what I didn't realize, and which is the whole strength of what happened, is that uh, after we'd be rehearsing on stage or we'd be taping on stage, he had nothing to do. So he went into his dressing room and whoever happened to be hanging around, Alan and Chris and Billy and, and uh, Charlie Hodge, his movie stand-in, Lance Legault, uh, we'd go in there and, and Elvis and his guys uh, and anybody else who happened to be in there would jam for hours. And uh, that's when I got the idea of, hey, <laughs> I hate to say it to Alan, but this is better than all the <laughs> costumes and sets and production numbers and what have you. Uh, and uh, I said, I'm bringing cameras in there. And the colonel said, over my dead body, you are. And uh, he wouldn't allow anything, any photography, still photography. He wouldn't allow uh, tape recorders, though I did sneak in my little Sony and uh, recorded what was going on. And uh, I said, you know, I, this is something, this is it. This is platinum. And I kept hounding him every day and hounding him and he kept saying, no, no, no. Uh, and then finally, out of frustration, he turned to me and said, okay, if you want to recreate it on stage, I'll let you do that. But I won't promise you any of it will get into the show. And we ended up recording two hours on stage of the improv. The colonel all the time tried to sabotage it. Uh, he insisted he get either all the tickets for the audience and, and he implied that he was going to fly an airplane in from, from uh, Memphis with uh, blue-eyed, blonde-haired girls with these hairdos. <laughs> and, uh, or if we allowed a real audience with the sponsors, wives and girlfriends and NBC's executives, he didn't want any tickets. I wanted the girls from Memphis. So I went to NBC and Finkel and said to them, please, please, let me give them all the tickets and I'm sorry, but nobody gets to come in except the Colonel. And so NBC, believe it or not, and Singer Sewing Centers, believe it or not, agreed and said, okay, we'll give the Colonel all the tickets. The day before I was taping it, I was driving off of the NBC studio lot and the guard said, hey Steve, do you need any tickets for tomorrow's taping? And I said, what tickets? He said, oh, some bald-headed guy came here and he handed me a whole stack of tickets and said, give them away. So we had no audience. And uh, the next morning, uh, I had ordered extra pages to handle the crowds that would be there, et cetera. And there were like 10 people standing outside of NBC. And so uh, 
we recruited a couple of local disc jockeys <laughs> who uh, said, if you want to see Elvis, head out to Burbank and NBC. There was a drive-in restaurant that was kind of famous called Bob's Big Boy Restaurant. People eating breakfast, we went to them and said, you want to see Elvis? Come on over. And then we got on the phones and, and everybody at NBC was calling their wives and girlfriends and that's how we kind of built this improv audience. Wow. Uh, and then Elvis didn't even want to do it. I, I do want to make one point, which uh, again, I was so frustrated when I delivered the hour special to be broadcast. And, and uh, you know, the Colonel was still feuding over no Christmas songs. Yeah. That uh, I edited the show personally. I, I edited all my shows. And uh, in those days, an hour show was really about 47 minutes because with all the commercial interruptions, the public ser service announcements, and so forth, that I edited on my own a 90-minute version. And I begged NBC uh, and the sponsor to buy an extra half hour of airtime so we could broadcast this whole 90-minute show with the improv in it. And they said no. So uh, the initial show, which got, uh, they estimate half of America who were watching television that night right. watched right. the Elvis special. The other two networks, The other two networks were so in fear of Elvis appearing on television, <laughs> they programmed their best shows at 8.30, half hour before we went on the air at 9 o'clock. And that meant that all these people watching the other networks tuned out of their shows and came over at 9 o'clock to watch Elvis Presley. Yeah. Now, now the story is that when Elvis passed away, NBC decided to broadcast tribute shows, and they took Marty Pacetta's Elvis Aloha special from Hawaii. They got Ann Margaret to host it, and then they sent a gopher down to the basement to go find the master videotape of the Elvis Presley Hour special. Well, whoever they sent down, and I wish I knew today who it was, uh, and so do you, because the person probably didn't know any of the story behind the Elvis. He may, may not even know who Elvis Presley was from, for, from my point of view. Went down into the basement and lo and behold saw the word master and pulled a 90-minute version. So it was a total accident <laughs> that we now get to see the bordello scene and all the improv in the show. If he pulled the 60-minute show, we, we would never see any of this. Yeah, and it was... The, the, the last thing I want to talk about, though, about that improv that, that you realized, and Elvis realized, it was very important who he was surrounded with, on, who he was comfortable with to do that, because he didn't know if he could even do that improv. Well, all the improv in his dressing room uh, was done by the people that I mentioned, just whoever happened to be hanging out on stage. I never heard the name Scotty Moore and T.J. Fontana until when Elvis found out that I was going to recreate it on stage. He called me over and he said, Steve, do you think there's any chance you could get Scotty and D.J. to come here and do it with me? Nobody plays guitar like, like, like Scotty. So I got on the phone and they both turned me down because they hated the Colonel so much for breaking up the trio when Elvis went solo, 
that uh, eventually, when we talked a little, they decided for Elvis alone they would come, and thank God they did. Yeah. When they missed all of the stuff happening in the dressing room, <laughs> they came, no rehearsal, none. They got into that ring, and it was kind of a boxing ring without the ropes. And for the first time, Cold, in nine years, gave us what they did on that stage. Yeah. No pre-rehearsals, no nothing. Uh, I don't know any other artist to this day that could do anything like that. And uh, so, you know, and, and again, I, I felt the improv, uh, I've said it many times, but for me, when I watch the show, uh, I see a man rediscovering his own talent because he wasn't sure at the time whether it was the Colonel or RCA's publicity machine or what, that was really making him the star that he was. And it proved to not only all of us, but it proved Elvis himself. He didn't need any of that stuff. He was that talented. Yeah, and you were there. You, you found that and you gave him the space, and as I said with Alan, I said with Billy, and he, he didn't have this a lot in his life, he trusted you. It's the whole key to anything. If somebody yeah. can trust you, they'll relax and, and uh, you know, when they feel insecure, uh, you know, and, and the truth of the matter is, I think we were the only group of people ever who didn't want anything from the Colonel. He had no power over us, and that was the real key, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, we thank you for being here, and it, it's been a number of years since all of you were, were together, and, and we thought it would be a great idea um, to bring the other two gentlemen up here on stage, just for nothing else than uh, you guys are going to be in the back signing autographs. You have a very special presentation tonight here of the 68 special, but we want an opportunity, and I know everybody does, to take some pictures of the three creative minds that helped Elvis Presley with the 68 special, and we're so glad you're here. Okay, sandwiched in between this morning and tonight is an Italian artist yes. named Nico. I suggest you all go to his show if you can get in there. I, I think, you know, hopefully it's free. But Nico uh, came from his home in Italy because he loved Elvis Presley. He's only doing this one show and flying right back to Italy after it. Wow. But I, I think you'll knock your socks off, so I really highly recommend you going to see him. All right, let's bring the other gentleman out right here. Anything you want to say, uh, Steve, about the gentlemen that are coming out here, uh, Billy and, and, and uh, Alan? Most talented people in the world, and I love them. Yeah. 